On this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Bob Goff, and you're going to love it. Before we get there, though, we've got a new course at Business Made Simple University. It's Proposals Made Simple. If you aren't sending proposals, you are missing out on the opportunity to make a lot of money. A lot of us are just sending emails with bullet points and deal points saying, here's what we talked about on the phone, Nancy. You know what? That gets lost in Nancy's email box. But if you actually send a well-designed and thoughtful proposal, you are going to stand out against the competition. We used to send proposals a lot, then we got lazy. If you're not lazy and you send a good proposal, you're going to get a lot more deals. If you want to learn how to do that, what should go first in the proposal, what should go second, what should go third, watch our new course, Proposals Made Simple with Kula Callahan. You're going to love it. Listen, I get proposals every once in a while, and they are terrible. The first three pages talk all about the company, how great they are, how their grandfather started it. I don't care. It's like page 23 before they actually start talking about my problem, which is the only reason I called them in the first place. These proposals are actually losing deals, not getting deals. But if you write a clear proposal that starts with the customer's problem and then frames the product you are selling as the solution to that problem in the way that we teach you to do it, you're going to close more business. Go to ProposalsMadeSimple.com, ProposalsMadeSimple.com, and get our course on how to create proposals. Why did we create this course? Because proposals are the secret weapon that so few people are using. You should start using them now, and you should start using them right. ProposalsMadeSimple.com. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose, noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., I'm going to describe a character in a movie. Okay. And you are going to tell me whether or not this is a documentary okay. or a fictional film. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love with you just literally you, it's, just. It's, it's I sat down and you just got started. I yep, literally sat down, one put the, the headphones other. on. You just got okay. It's a fascinating okay, question. Wait. If it documentary or, or a fictional fiction. character. Okay. And you have to bet money. I do. Yeah. Okay. If you lose the bet, you pay me a hundred bucks. Hundred? That's a lot. And if you win the bet, <laughs> I don't even know where this is going. You do not have to pay me a hundred bucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As long as we can make other $100 bets in the near future that will balance it out, I'm all in. I'm all in. In the movie, <laughs> okay. the lead protagonist uh-huh. uh, is a construction lawyer. He, okay. you know, He's a lawyer who deals construction cases. He sues construction companies, skyscrapers, you know, condominiums that have cracks in the ceiling, that sort of thing. Yes. With the money that he takes from having never lost a case. Uh, by the way, he went to law school and almost failed. Uh, he was a terrible student. Great backstory. Yep. But he goes on, he, he has a successful career in law at a law firm. He tells the law firm, hey, you know, I think I want, you know, it's like he's been there one year. Uh-huh. I think I want to take three months off. Uh, I'm going to take a three-month vacation, and I'll be back in three months. They say, if you do that, you're fired. He said, no, you probably won't fire me because I'm really good. And he just leaves for three months. He uh-huh. takes, his, takes his family. Uh-huh. He floats around on a little boat in uh, British Columbia, uh-huh. near a Young Life camp, okay. and he really falls in love with this area, so he buys 2,500 acres. <laughs> I'm not done. Okay, keep buys 2,500 acres around the Young Life camp, dynamites the side of a mountain, builds a lodge, and then he goes to uh, Uganda, uh-huh. and he meets some people in Uganda, and he gets to know members of parliament and the Supreme Court, and he starts a couple schools there, yes. and then he discovers there's some witch doctors, and what they do is they... They take kids uh-huh. and they 
do terrible things to them, and they leave them dead, and he decides, I want to try a case against witch doctors and stop yeah. this. So he creates legislation that gets through Parliament in Uganda, tries a witch doctor, puts them in jail. Then he starts a school for witch doctors because yes. he figures if he can <laughs> not try them but actually educate them. And he's, to change he's them a witch, so they're no yeah. longer hurting children. That's right. He has a yes. witch doctor school. Yes. And uh, what else? Uh, started girls' schools in Afghanistan, maybe? Is yeah. It? Yep. He started and girls' schools in Afghanistan. Brings, That's in the book. We've uh, seen this movie. Brings uh, heads of state and parliament. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he and brings heads of state <laughs> to his lodge that he built uh-huh. dynamiting the side of a mountain, and he signs peace treaties between countries at war, yeah, having zero authority to do so. And does this character <laughs> happen to also like be an ambassador from Uganda? That's right. Back to the He's United the States. He's the Ugandan ambassador. He was. He might still be Ugandan ambassador to America. Now, don't. It's not the American ambassador, ambassador to, to Uganda. Uganda. He is a non-Ugandan Ugandan citizen, citizen. Mm-hmm. that they sent as the American <laughs> ambassador from Uganda. Yes. And uh, (laughs) okay, JJ, hundred bucks, hundred bucks. Oh wait, so if I win this, you give me a hundred bucks? No, no, no. you didn't listen to the deal. If you lose, you pay me a hundred bucks. If you win, you don't have to pay me a hundred bucks. Okay. So in a way, you do get a hundred bucks. I get get your hundred bucks. Get my hundred bucks back. Keep your hundred bucks. That's a great deal. (laughs) Um, Well, I will say it is not fiction. (laughs) Not fiction. Not fiction at all. None of those pieces were fiction. It's not a documentary yet. It should be. But it absolutely should be. Yeah. And I know that person is Bob Goff. (laughs) You are Sherlock Holmes. And that is half of I mean not even half of like the really interesting things that you could have said about <laughs> him that are just over the moon. Well, he's one of my closest friends uh, in the world. He's a guy I love. He's a complete inspiration to me and yes. he's got a new book. It's called Dream Big by Bob Goff. And it's all about you know I would say the number one thing that I've gotten from Bob. I'd be curious to say what the number yeah. one thing is that you've gotten from Bob. I'd like to hear that. The number one thing that I've gotten is to dream big. I mean, yeah. I don't even think about it anymore. He taught me that more is possible in life than you can possibly imagine. Yes. And he didn't teach me that because he sat me there and told me. Yeah. I watched him do it. Yeah. I watched him build a lodge and bring in world leaders and sign peace treaties. I've been to Uganda with him. I visited parliament. I visited the Supreme Court in Uganda. I've flown crazy places with him yeah. uh, in northern Iraq. I've gone to the Iraqi-Iranian border and you know, hoped that we weren't standing on landmines because there were signs that say there are landmines yeah. here. Yeah. I've done all that stuff with him. Yeah. And uh, he just doesn't have that filter that says, we're not supposed to do this, we're not supposed yes. to be here. Yeah. He, he once told me a story where he and a friend were walking by the, the Library of Congress, the National Library, and there's all this equipment and there's these cables running inside the library. Well, they realized Nicolas Cage is filming <laughs> National Treasure 2. <laughs> Bob, uh-huh. Bob goes... We should go in. And his friend says, well, you know, there's security everywhere. I don't think we can go in. He goes, oh, no, no, you can. You just have to carry an extension cord. (laughs) 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 He grabs a giant extension cord off a truck, puts it over his shoulder, and walks in and just watches the filming of the movie. He just stood there with it. That's his entire freaking life. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, you don't realize. That if you have an extension cord, you're allowed to yeah. sign a peace treaty between warring countries. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, the reality is there is no law yeah. that says that a construction lawyer cannot invite world leaders to his house and have them sign a peace treaty. There's zero laws about that. To me, that's just an amazing revelation. I'm not yeah. talking about the peace treaty. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing revelation when you realize 
No, you don't have to live in a little house and yeah. drive a car to a job you don't like and eat fast food. Yeah. You don't have to do that. Yeah. You can learn to hang glide. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, that is huge for me. When I read his first book, you know, when he and he talks through with with Love Does, when he talks yeah. through a lot of the stuff that he did, that had the exact same impact on me and got me to a place where I was like, what are these boundaries that I put around myself that says at the time, it was, you know, we talked about this at the time I was in LA and I was like, why can't I be a comedian? Like, yeah. why can't I be in movies? Yeah. Why can't I write movies? There was something in me that said, you know, people from a small town in Oregon, that's right. this little dry Always town, excuses, of, you know, right? 7,000. That, that person has something that I don't have. Exactly. That person, you know, knew somebody I don't know. And then you actually sit down and think, you go, wait a second, I know a lot of people. Yeah. In fact, I know that person yep. who knows somebody that I don't know. You almost start telling yourself, I don't have the right to do this, right? And Bob basically goes, no, 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 you have all the rights in the world to be able to go <laughs> go after your dreams. Go yeah. Like nothing is to, and you even, I know Bob has influenced you in that way because when I came to work for you, you asked me some of those questions. You were like, so talk to me about your life in 10 years. What's your big dream? And I started throwing out these dreams and you were like, no, no, no. Those are not dreams. Those are like goals that you can accomplish <laughs> yeah. next year. Yeah. Like yeah. it was like buy a house and things like that. And they're like, no, no, no. Big dreams. Like yeah. what is your world changing? And you really pushed me to go to that next level of thinking, how do I want to change the world? Yeah. And Bob really has done that for both of us. Yes. I am so grateful. He is single-handedly the largest influence on my entire life. Yeah. He really is. That's the number one thing. He taught me to dream Big. Yeah. And if you want to spend time with Bob Goff, get the book. Yeah. Get the book. Well, you're probably going to be able to spend time with him anyway. Yeah. Because <laughs> he probably put his phone number in the yeah. book. Which he did in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah. Anyway, the book is called Dream Big, and, and I'm honored. He's his second time on the show. Yeah. And I'm honored to have him on the show. He's somebody that I think those of us who knew him back in the day have had to realize that we need to share with the world. Yeah. So I've not gotten as much time with them as I'd like to. Yeah. And that's on purpose because, you know, when you meet somebody like that, I think you have a responsibility to share them with the world. Yeah. And he, he's definitely been sharing himself with the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All over the place. You don't follow him on Instagram, follow Bob Goff on Instagram. But Dream Big is the new book. It's pr- kind of hard to pin him down. So this is more of a friendship conversation because, you know, basically if you say, Bob, what's this book about? He'll say, Oh, you know, it's about a lot of things. Don, you remind me. Uh, you know, pretty <laughs> and of course, I fall for that every time. So I'm like, oh, we're talking about me again. I like this. My wounds feel good. <laughs> but his whole thing now, he's really kind of moved into a new phase of life where his whole thing is helping people accomplish their big yeah. dreams. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a, a got workshop workshops. called Dream Big yep. Framework. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is my conversation with my old friend, Bob Goff. Always wonderful to get to talk to him. And especially if you don't know him, I don't know, you've been under a rock somewhere, but to introduce you to him. One of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met. Here's my conversation with Bob Goff. My old friend Bob Goff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a million, Don. It's fun hearing your voice. We should launch our own podcast. I think that might go well. (laughs) Don and Bob. Uh, Actually, one of the things that I think people enjoy is seeing friendships that go over the arc of time. And I think that's one of the things I've appreciated is just while we are both busy guys that we can come together as friends and talk. So that's, I really welcome this. This is great. Well, a long time ago, we came together and talked, spent a day together and we dreamed up dream big. I mean, I say we dreamed it up. I said, Bob, you need to help people dream big. That's what you do. And then you did that, <laughs> whatever, whatever that's called. And now what is that? How was that a couple of years ago? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it was three years. I think we've done about 18 uh, of the dream big things. And the crazy things is that uh, it's probably true for your listeners too. You get a couple friends together, you start spitballing an idea and then you just let it off the leash and see where it goes. And uh, we've done them in uh, Nashville and San Diego. We did one in uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. We invited <laughs> 170 Afghan leaders to come together and <laughs> 170 came. It was so crazy rowdy. Didn't like uh, the opposition show up and oh, shut got the thing raided. down? Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll keep you regular. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, explain to everybody what we're talking about. We're talking about an actual conference. Do you call it a conference or a workshop? What do you call it? I'd say more like kind of a workshop, like a smaller gathering of people go a mile deep. And everybody's trying to figure out, you know, where is their life going to go, right? I mean, that's kind of like, what am I going to do with this? beautiful opportunity that I've been given. Is, is that the main question that you explore? Yeah. It's like you kind of, everybody has a canvas and a picture frame. Mm -hmm. And for some people, the picture frame that thought that would, the way it would be is way bigger than the canvas. And <laughs> for other people, the canvas is bigger than the picture frame. Wow. And that's so a great way of saying to it. Just talk about it. So say like, you know, well, do you need a bigger canvas or do you need a bigger frame? And uh, there isn't one answer that fits all, but it'd be worth asking those questions. And they're best asked in uh, smaller settings. I know that's what you do at StoryBrand. Just get smaller groups of people and then even break that down a little bit smaller and just go a mile deep and just kind of adopt each other for life. You and I have known each other a long time. I've always described you as the most dynamic person that I've ever met. Uh, the only person that I've compared you to, and it's not a fair comparison because you're very, very different, but I still compare you to Walt Disney. You don't have the sort of business mind of Walt Disney. You know, he, he would have taken over the world by now if he had kept living. But you've got the imagination and the creativity and the joy. And certainly you're an amazing businessman. But you know what I mean? It wasn't all about money and wasn't all about profit and, you know, monetizing things the way he was able to do. I'm curious as to what your actual philosophy of life is. What drives that enthusiasm and creativity? And I'll ask it in a pointed way, a specific question. For you, what is a meaningful life? Universally, not just for you, but when people come to you for a dream big conference or workshop and you're trying to guide them toward a meaningful life, do you have a set idea of the criteria of a meaningful life? And if so, what is that criteria? Yeah, I don't have the uh, destination to say, like, here is, uh, you've arrived at meaningful life. You know, it's at the corner of yeah. ambition and opportunity. <laughs> right. But but what I would say along the way, one of the hallmarks of an engaged life is curiosity. So Walt Disney, you know, decides he's going to build a thing called Disneyland and he buys seven acres in uh, Burbank to build it. Was it seven? That's <laughs> all it was? It was build. seven acres? Yeah, seven <laughs> acres in Burbank. And then he uh, faced all these headwinds from people saying, we don't want, you know, this like, you know, unprofitable thing here. And he's like, oh, whatever, I'll just go buy a 165 acre orange grove <laughs> yeah. in Anaheim. And so uh, I think that idea of resilience and curiosity, just being curious about everything. I want to know how honey's made. I, oh, actually just bought a beehive. So I'm going to find out. Uh, I'm going to actually probably figure out how to cure bee stings too. <laughs> um, but to not like not shy away, uh, not living a fearful life, that would be one thing that you and I think share in common. Just not fear isn't the first go to 
reaction. So I think it's, it would be curiosity and engagement. It's why you bought your Land Cruiser because mm-hmm. you were just curious. You thought they were cool and let's go. I don't think I told you, Don, I bought a CJ5. Did I tell you that? I don't know. I haven't heard that. Yeah. I bought an old 62 CJ5. I was in Denver and I had little bit of time to kill and <laughs> foolishly walked into. <laughs> Please tell me you drove it home yeah. all the way from Denver. Well, you know what? I, the engine was making a little bit of noise. I didn't realize it sank in the bottom of a lake. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I found that out later. So now I'm just curious about how to rebuild the transmission. So one of the things about this CJ5 that uh, answers in part the question, it's uh, it'll climb like a billy goat, but it's got no brakes. And so we've been taking it to the top of the can't hill. Can't come back down. <laughs> oh, well, no, actually, you can come back down just very quickly. And we just try to dodge the oak trees as we're going. And therein is the life lesson, like to not be like all gas and no brakes. And I think for some of us, uh, it'll happen that we're motivated, probably a lot of people that are tracking with you, high energy, high go for it. But to find those times to hit the brakes, too. To just like not to just feel guilty about that. And I think a lot of us get our identity by activity. So I've been learning a lot about that. And what it's given me pause in a really fun way is to be more curious. Your book is called Dream Big. It's probably going to be a runaway bestseller. What were you seeing in the world that made you want to help people dream big? You look at somebody and ultimately you see the best in them. That's one of your great characteristics. So I'm not asking you to say people were miserable or whatever, but what is it that in you that made you want to help other people figure this out? Yeah, I've just seen what happens when people took an interest in me and what that did. You were one of those guys. I mean, you won't talk about it, but uh, everybody else should know. Like this idea of writing a book called Love Does, that was your idea. And then I gave you some really lousy words and you gave <laughs> not true. Really good words. I just recorded a video. Did you see that video? I should have sent it to you because I talked about you all the way through it. The psychological journey of writing a book. Oh no, that's awesome. I'll send it to you. But it was about, remember I sent you that box and it had, or no, you opened it in, in the green room in, at, at the Roseland Theater in Portland, Oregon. Oh yeah. With all the gifts in it. Yeah, with the gifts. And I use that as a metaphor. But one of the things I said in that video was Bob sent me this stuff and I thought this is a, you don't know this. So listeners should know. I gave Bob a briefcase. And inside the briefcase were 10 or 12 gifts. I don't know how many. And he could only open a gift after a certain point in writing a book. So you could you could open gift one after writing the first chapter, gift two after you know figuring this out, gift three. And the final one was a gift that you could only open when the book came back from the publisher. And it was my way of tricking Bob Goff into finishing this book. <laughs> one of the things that Bob would do is he'd send me chapters. And I knew, I didn't know, I suspected this is going to be a New York Times bestseller because it was that good. And I wanted to put a 13th or 15th gift or whatever in there that was a a New York Yankees jersey, and you could only open it when it hit the New York Times. And I I thought that's a mean thing to do if that book never hits the New York Times because they can be kind of (laughs) cranky. They they decide based on what kind of mood they're in what hits the list. So I didn't do it. And it's one of the biggest regrets of my life because it hit the New York Times. (laughs) But uh, I don't know why I said that. Except, oh, because you, you were trying to give me credit for something that I didn't do. I think one of the things that happens, though, is that in, in this journey that we're making, you take your ambitions. And uh, dreams sometimes could be a little bit misleading. You think most people think of dreaming as what you do when you're asleep. Right. And I would say it's what you do when you're fully awake. When you're fully awake to your purposes. And for some people, faith is a really big deal. Uh, I'm one of them. I know you're one of them. Uh, but for other people, they're 
uh, their community is for I'm one of them, you're one of them. And and so to learn that our purposes can be found in many things. Uh, And so sometimes people want to uh, make a caricature of us. So I'm the balloon guy. And I just put a bunch of balloons on the cover because everybody was mad at Ralph Bell for writing a book called Love Wins. And I want everybody to just chill out. So I just put (laughs) balloons on the cover and then I... And then I just, I got characterized as a balloon guy. And I agree. I'm like a really uppy guy, but I also tried death penalty cases against witch doctors that sacrifice children. Mm -hmm. And so that also, like all of us, we have gears. And so I think we find our passion and our purpose in being self-aware enough to know what am I good at? And then say, do I have an opportunity to do something I'm really good at, but not be painted in the corner just by your capabilities? I'm a pretty good lawyer, but I'm just not doing that anymore. I'm capable of it, but I don't think I'm made for it. You have a bunch of principles in the book, and and I'd like for you to talk about a few of them, uh, if you don't mind. One of them, and as we talk about dreaming big and, and the sort of amazing things that people have accomplished you start comparing yourself to other people and you say comparison is a punk. Why is it that you think we should not be in the business of comparing ourselves? I don't know. I just, I love that idea of tending to your own fire. It really comes from something that sweet Maria Goff uh, told me, which is everything. (laughs) And uh, actually every book I've written, it's just everything she said. I just say it again without attribution. She was reminding me when you were a kid, did you, uh, were you told to keep your eyes on your own paper? Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was told that quite a bit and my eyes were wandering because I was like the dumbest kid in class. But one of the things that we tend to do because we're, uh, looking for like, where are we, how are we stacking up against everybody? And so there's a, like every wave, there's a front side of that wave and it can be a really beautiful thing. It could be instructive, informative, but the backside of the wave is where a lot of people live. And they're just always constantly comparing. I just have to remind myself that I just want to paint my picture, fit it into the frame God gives me, small or large, um, and then let you paint yours. Uh, and so it doesn't feel competitive. It feels that they're very collegial, that we're both like making this offering to the world of what we've got. And then um, I'm not going to feel bad when my friends do great things. I'm going to just celebrate that with them. And I think we're all just trying to figure out where are we? And I, I think I've just given up. It was very free to say with somebody else, I'm not trying to figure out if they're ahead of me on the path or behind me on the path. I'm just glad we're walking it together. Yeah. <laughs> and just really kind of celebrate. How about in your, in your world, does it feel like, a like you're speaking to business folks and all that? Does it feel like that's a kind of a thing that people have to get over to you talking about that a lot at StoryBrand. You mean like pivoting careers like that? Yeah, or just not comparing your business success with somebody else's business success. I am a guy who compares and I am, I am a guy who probably, uh, you know, wants to be, I'm, I'm competitive. I'm an Enneagram three. And so, uh, you know, at times when somebody gets ahead of me, I want to experience more success than them or whatever. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think competition is a bad thing. I'm saved, though, by the fact that the majority of my work is creative. So I've got my head down trying to create something and don't really have time to go figure out what other people are doing. But that doesn't mean I'm not guilty of that sometimes. And it's never, ever, ever, ever helpful. Never helpful. To Isn't do that. that crazy how that yeah. works when you murder board it afterwards? You go, that wasn't helpful. If everybody <laughs> listening could realize 
that we have 27,350 days. Average person, average life. 27,350. Yeah, really. And if you've spent the first 20 in your wayward ways of college, you know, above 20? just touching Try 37, off. Bob. When did I get married? Okay, 42. 37. The first 42 and then the years last, can write them off. <laughs> so the last 10, you're trying to kind of just keep the wheels on this thing. Then many of the people listening are somewhere in that middle part and just not that many days. And so I'm just not going to spend a whole bunch of them trying to figure out how I stack up against somebody else. But instead, I want to spend them really curious about what would happen. What would happen if, and then that's where all the good conversations happen. Yeah. Well, you know, while we're not comparing ourselves to others, you also give the advice of set enormously big expectations. And I would say, you know, when did we meet, Bob? I mean, we have a picture of the day we met. Do you know, you, you've sent me that picture before. I think we've I sent it to each other. I do have that picture, yeah. I can picture the place. Yeah. And the thing that I learned from you over those two years, I would say I credit Bob Goff with who I have become more than any other human on the planet. And I like who I've become. That's, I mean, that is a, a super positive thing. But the big thing that I say, okay, well, what did you learn from Bob? There's a lot. But the big thing is that there's certainly a limit to what we can do and achieve and accomplish in the world that we can build. But that limit is infinitely higher than any of us ever thought, right? Totally. Totally. And so you describe that as set absurd expectations, most of us don't. I mean, mo- most of us really don't realize the enormity of the things we can do. And I'm not just talking about impressive things. I'm going to be talking about how much better your vacation can be than you thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you just, what are the keys to setting like huge expectations? I think it's being fully aware. I love in Tennessee, they say to be where your feet are. <laughs> right. That. Yeah. To just be all there. And I think a lot of people, particularly in the business world, but it isn't restricted to that. They're actually one place, but their thoughts have taken them somewhere else. So if you're listening, there's no shame in this, but like pull off the side of the road and then just say, how much of my time am I actually fully present where I am? Or what about when you're with uh, somebody that you love a lot and you're checking your iPhone? What if you come home from work, change into your sweats, and then when you want to check your messages, go back into the room, put a suit and tie on, and then go check your messages because you are back at work. <laughs> and then when you're ready to re-enter, get your sweats back on. You see where this is going in the middle of the night at 10 or 2 a.m. or whatever. Once you get out of bed, put your suit and tie on. You get back in bed with your suit on because you are at work right now. Your eyes are closed, but you are not resting. And I think if we could just be where our feet are, we could just be fully aware of that, then that would be the first step to getting after some ambitions. And like you say, big or small. And figure out some things that if you're afraid, if that's a thing that's a common, persistent theme in your life, fear. And if you just drill down on this, say, what I'm really afraid of? And say, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to not have enough money or I'm going to run out of it. I would just go creatively. I'd just put a $20 bill in a pickle jar and bury it somewhere. Bring the kids, bring whoever is with you that you love and bury it together and say, we will never run out of money because we got 20 bucks under that hickory tree. <laughs> and there's just something beautiful about that. I want to go bury 20 bucks next to that tree that has your initials and, and Betsy's carved in, Don. Well, yeah, here's what I'm going to do. If, 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 if you ever leave this world before me, I'm going to get a metal detector because you tell so many bury a can stories oh, that yeah, I bet there's gold boy. in your backyard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a staple to my uh, will is a set of latitude and longitude 
longitude. It's everything I've buried for the kids. <laughs> Treasure that map. Crazy? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's that's just, awesome. I just wanted to go around. Uh, you know, uh, I'll get them three tickets economy, but just go around <laughs> and find these things. But I think you got to figure out what your. I, I think one of the things that gets us off message is the distractions. That's what keeps us away from being where our feet are. I'll be right back with my conversation with Bob Goff in just a moment. On this episode, we're talking about proposals made simple. But did you know there are four more courses at Business Made Simple University? We've also got a course on messaging, on marketing, on mission statement, and even a course on the Enneagram, emotional intelligence. If you go to businessmadesimple.com, you can get the courses that you need to become a competent professional and a value-driven member of your team. If you'd like to offer more value to the organization that you either own or work for, go to businessmadesimple.com. Every course is not pie-in-the-sky white papers about trade with China that you will never use. It's actually information that you can use to bring more value to yourself, your career, and to the organization you work for. We need frameworks that help us become better team members, and these frameworks will do that for you. Go to businessmadesimple.com, businessmadesimple.com. You talk about being a quitter and how important it is to be a quitter. And you used to have this uh, ritual, you quit something every Thursday. Is that right? Oh, yeah, still do. Yeah, yeah still yesterday do. I was, yeah, I was on a board till yesterday. And uh, <laughs> nobody will take my calls on Thursdays. They're just like, <laughs> it's only bad news. Unless they want to get rid of me, then they'll take that call all day. So you're setting great expectations in areas of your life, but you're also quitting areas. And how do you determine what to quit? How should we look at things and say, I need to get out of that. That's not helpful for me anymore. Oh man, that is the thing that I love this idea of being a new creation that it's like, I spent 61 years being old Bob. And then I woke up a few hours ago and I'm like new Bob. And it's Mm. like, what does he look? He's still covered in freckles, but like, what does he want to be? What does he want to do? And many of the things, same things that were happening the day before I'll continue on. But some of these things I'll let go, I'll quit. Uh, remember when we have taken uh, bunches of groups of friends up to the lodge, and before they leave, we take rocks and we throw them into the uh, inlet kind of ceremoniously. And the, the, I, the question that you always pop from people is, what are you going to take from this time? And what are you going to need to leave right here? Hmm. And that's just such a beautiful thing. Again, if you're in that wide spot in the road, I just say like, what do you need to carry with you? What do you need to let go of? And that's just such a beautiful thing for us to ask ourselves constantly because I'm, there must be some diagnosis for this, but just constantly responding to kind of these reminders everywhere. I don't think they stacked rocks in the Old Testament because they ran out of paper. I think they just wanted to remind each other. So I have no left pockets, you know this, in any of my pants. So it's like if I put my keys in my left pocket, they're gone. And it just reminds me that, like, what are the things I'm going to keep? That's right pocket stuff. What are some of the hurts, some of the betrayals, some of the wounds that I have? And I'm just saying, I'm just going to move that 18 or 20 inches to the left. Just not hanging on to that. And that symbolism for me has been super helpful. Do you do any of that? Do you have, like, things I know, like we were talking about the tree, like you and Betsy, like to just surround yourself by these reminders of who you love, why you're doing what you're doing? 
Well, you know, we have, you know, at Goose Hill and and the house that we're currently living in now, in our marriage, in fact, I borrowed this from you, We ha- they're not necessarily reminders, physical reminders, but they're, they're intentions, going back to what we talked about earlier, that, you know, before I got married, Betsy and I actually created a marriage plan. And our marriage plan was we were going to get married, not for each other, but we were going to get married in order to restore other human beings. That people, I and, and I, I stole you that from you. That. Yeah, I stole that from you because you, you know, you have restore, you had restore international, and that's all changed to love does. But I just fell in love with that word restore. I remember at your rehearsal dinner, uh, you standing up and saying that. I thought it was just so beautiful. And then these many years later, seeing you live live that out, um, in and out of the lodge, we have this old beaver seaplane. You've been brave enough to go with me <laughs> for a couple spins. And before you start the engine on a plane, you always open up the little wing and you uh, window and you say, clear the prop, <laughs> which yeah. is like letting everybody know that uh, the prop is about to spin and yeah, you should don't probably put your not finger there because I can't, <laughs> yeah, I can't see you. And what I like about that is that it's announcing an intention. I'm not asking for permission. I'm not saying, hey, would everybody, let's all vote on whether I had to start the engine. I'm like, no, 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 clear the prop. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if we could do that, like you have in your marriage, like you have in your business, with we could do that with our friends, kind of clearing away. What do we keep in? What do we let go of? Letting people know our intention and letting ourselves know our intention. So say, this is my intention. This is what this marriage is about. This is what the brand is about. Yeah, I love it. Saying it out loud, putting it in paper. The last thing I want to talk about, there's so much more in the book. It's called Dream Big. But one of the things kind of in the middle of the book you talk about is the importance of taking action. You and I are alike in a lot of ways. You're probably an Enneagram 7. I'm an Enneagram 3, so we're, we're different. But the other thing that you taught me is to have an extremely strong bias toward action, to move. Don't just talk about things. Actually do them. Why is it so important to have this strong bias toward actually movement, toward taking action? I think the, I'm not a slogan guy, but if I were, it would be to fail trying, Mm. don't fail watching. Mm. So sometimes you see an opportunity and to say, is that just going to be something I'm thinking about, kind of like brain candy, or is it something I'm actually going to do something about? So take action and see what happens. We planted a garden out at the Oaks, this camp, and uh, and then a bunch of rain came, which is really weird in San Diego. It rains like two times a decade. But the, the rains came, and when we went out to the garden the next time, it's a pretty big garden, uh, there were uh, tadpoles everywhere. They were like growing little feet and all that. <laughs> I planted watermelon seeds, and I got tadpoles. Wow. Evidently, the frogs had gotten into the garden. I'm going to plant jelly beans next time and see if I get cake pops. But (laughs) one of the things that will happen is that you taking action, you'll have these unintended consequences. You'll have a new thing pop up. I didn't know we had frogs till I, we planted the seeds and then now we've got frogs everywhere and I'm just delighting in this. I'm learning about them. What I want you to do is if you're listening to say, what has been an ambition? What has been an idea that I had? And instead of keeping that thing in the packet, plant it and see what's going to happen with that. See what will grow and you'll get surprised. I thought it was planting one thing, something else popped up. I don't think you can grow frogs from seeds, but I'm telling you, the little kid that was standing next to me, when this all happened, you could not convince her for the rest of her life 
that you do not grow tadpoles from seeds because she helped me plant the watermelons. And the next time we went, there's a thousand tadpoles. I'm like, this is awesome. So one of the things I want us to do is just be unafraid and not try to control the chain reaction. I'm not saying uh, not monitor it, not understand it, but this idea of trying to control everything. And I think those are among the, the lessons I've learned as you've been doing story brand I've been tracking is how do you manage that yourself like from trying to control it and managing like healthy management versus unhealthy control I've learned over the years that things exist in opposite and both can be true we have friends Bob who we know very very well who have gone through tragedy and are capable of experiencing joy and grief in their heart at the exact same time and that they're not binary and I've learned that you can strategically plan and move forward with great, specific, disciplined intention and also manage chaos at the exact same time. Yeah. They're both somehow true. For instance, you can have you can set enormous goals and also manage expectations so that you're not the expectations are pivotal on whether or not you're gonna have a good day. That those things can happen simultaneously, and they kind of do. That's probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. And, and especially, you know, interacting with you, there's just sort of a, you know, when you're dancing with somebody, you only get to control you. If you try to control Maria, she's not going to have a very enjoyable experience, right? Yeah. And so I think that's life. I think you get to control you, and you're dancing with life, and it gets to control its part, and you have to let life whirl you around a little bit sometimes and know when to dip it and know when not to dip it and know when it's tired of dancing and wants to take a seat. And I think that's one of the great things that God asks us to learn is especially, especially, you can dance with them, but you can't control them in faith. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I think that idea over and over, like boom, when people deal with some setbacks and some failure, you've had some, I've had a couple. When the lodge burned down, you know, it took 20 years to build it took 20 minutes to burn down. I'm like, that'll preach. Yeah. Your mom, you know, Mary's room in the mm -hmm. lodge. I mean, we're just gutted. We spent, I bet we spent five hours looking for the plaque that had her name oh, on it. I ever wow. told you that, but they're just ashes. Everything else was gone. And but I could have just, you know, sat there and thought about what a raw deal it was and how unfair it was. But instead I got a 150 foot crane and I started swinging logs. Yeah. And it took four years, uh, 208 weeks, build it again. And so maybe a listener, you know, it, it wasn't your home that burned down, but it was a relationship. It was an opportunity. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was something that really mattered to you a lot. And I would say, uh, get a bigger crane, find a bigger frame, be where your feet are, be undistracted and to set, let everybody know your intention, clear the prop. Well, if you don't know Bob and my story, we became friends some 15 years ago, and uh, it was because I was kayaking up a inlet in British Columbia where nobody was, and met this guy who dynamited the side of a mountain 50 miles from the nearest, uh, and 50 years from the nearest road, and built a lodge, and we became friends, and uh, Bob was referring to a story where we found out my mother had lung cancer, and I, she had never been to the lodge. So I immediately put her on a first-class ticket to Seattle. We had, ate dinner at Canlis and put on, got on another plane and went up to the lodge, and Bob dedicated a room at the lodge to her. And then the lodge burned down. 
and uh, he rebuilt it. And this man inspired me to think so differently that uh, today my wife and I live on 15 acres in Nashville, Tennessee. We're building a house and an event space and a guest house. And what's hilarious is most people would say, well, what do you want in your house? You know, we want a little media room or whatever. And uh, Betsy and I, where do we put the event space where we have events? And where do we put the guest space where the writers come? And where's the tree house where they can write in? And where's the, you know, and then you stop and go, why do I think like a madman? And I go, well, it's Bob Goff is the reason you think like a madman. <laughs> and uh, if you want to think like a madman too or a mad woman, I think we need a lot more of you. Congratulations. This is your third uh, adult release. You've got a couple children's books out there. I think we need more uh, setting high expectations and taking actions and, and learning to plant seeds and get tadpoles. And, and what we've lost in these binary views of life that we've engaged is a sense of magic. I think that God uh, wanted us to occasionally look around and say, you know, this is just magical. And if there's, there's a lot of things you bring to the world, but the, one of them is when we spend time with Bob Goff or we read his books, we look around and we say, this is magical. I certainly do. And I accredit you with that. So... Bob, thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks a million, Don. There you go. Yeah. The book is uh, Dream Big. Love it. Yeah. I love that he's kind of moved into that new phase. I do too. You know, we talked about it in the interview, but another thing that Bob taught me is that pivots are okay. Yeah. And that. You know, people are going to go, well, that's not who you are. I, I yeah. thought you were this person. I thought you were a memoirist. Yeah. I didn't know that you could uh, pivot into a business career. Well, you know, one of the reasons I was able to do that is because there was a day when they said, I thought you were a failed tuba player who dropped out of college. <laughs> I didn't know you were a memoirist. <laughs> And then you write yeah. a memoir, and you're like, oh, you're a memoirist. Yeah. Then you start a business. Like, wait, I didn't know you were going to, you know, I was like, yeah. I don't, you know, who cares what you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is what yeah. I want to do. Yeah. And it's fun, and, and I'm having a blast doing it. And I think without watching Bob be able to just do really what he wants yeah, has done two things for me. It's showed me that in order to really change the world and to inspire people, you got to keep changing lanes while people are honking at you. Yeah. That's another thing that he taught me. So always a wonderful conversation. Uh, Bob, can't wait to have you back on the show. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.